Chapter Six of the Fortunes of Philippa. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fortunes of Philippa, Chapter Six, Mischief. When Greek meets Greek, then comes the tug of war. The celebrated Doctor Johnson is said to have advocated the theory: When you meet a boy, beat him, for either he has been in mischief, or he is at present in mischief, or he is about to get into mischief. In the case of the two younger Winstanley boys, I fear this axiom was only too true, since they sometimes allowed their love of fun to lead them into rather questionable undertakings, and I do not think their neighbours altogether appreciated the many jokes and escapades with which they sought to enliven the holidays. There resided in the village High Street a certain elderly bachelor, a retired sea captain, of somewhat autocratic manners and a very great idea of his own importance. Dick and George had once ventured into his garden in quest of a runaway puppy, and had been met with such a storm of wrath from the fiery old gentleman who threatened to prosecute them for trespassing that they had carried on a kind of feud with him ever since. On the captain's side, I have no doubt there were many reasonable grounds of complaint, but the boys, on the other hand, considered themselves to have just cause of grievance. Their enemy had been seen deliberately to wipe off the treacling mixture which they had smeared upon the trees to attract moths, though the said trees were situated on the public highway and not on his private property. He had put an impassable fence of barbed wire round the particular field where specimens of the Clifton blue might occasionally be captured, and he had clipped his brambly hedge, allowing the prickles purposely to fall and remain in the cinder path below. Though he knew it was the shortcut by which they bicycled from Marshlands to the railway station, hoped we should puncture our tyres, no doubt," said Dick indignantly. By sheer good luck, I saw them in time, and we carried our machines the whole length of the lane. But it was a sneaking trick to play, and we'll be even with him. We owe him a good long score now, and I have it in my mind to just jolly well pay him out. Needless to say, neither Mister nor Missus Winstanley were aware of these fell designs against old Captain Vernon, with whom they had always managed to keep on excellent terms of neighbourly good will, and, knowing full well that their schemes would be promptly forbidden if they ventured to divulge them, the boys seized the opportunity when the mater and the governor were out at a dinner party to carry into execution their plan of revenge. Edward declined altogether to be a party to the deed. Beastly bad form, I call it," he yawned. "You don't catch me leaving a decent armchair to go ragging an antiquated old fossil of a sea captain. As for you two girls, I suppose you can do as you like, but don't let the mater catch you at it. That's all." And stretching out his long legs on a second chair, he took up a copy of Punch and resigned himself to ease and comfort. "That's all jolly well for the fifth form," said Dick, "but it's a little too good for us chaps." We're off now, and if Cathy and Phil like to join the show, they can. And if they don't, they may stop at home and hem dusters. It was extremely naughty of us, but we wanted so much to see what happened, so we thought if we followed the boys at a discreet distance, we should not be exactly aiding and abetting, and yet we should come in for a full share of all that went on. It was a dark evening. With only a fitful gleam from a watery moon, which occasionally showed itself behind the driving clouds, and the unlighted village streets seemed quiet and deserted, the captain lived in the end house of an old-fashioned red-brick terrace. 
Though he had a good garden at the side and back, his front door and the bow-window of his dining-room were flush with the road, and by flattening our noses against the glass we were able to peep through a crevice in the red curtains and watch him, as he sat in a particularly easy armchair, with a cigar between his lips and a newspaper in his hand. "'Looks much too comfortable,' muttered Dick. "'Just wait till I'm ready and we'll make him sit up.' He had been cautiously fastening a piece of cobbler's wax to the centre of the window-frame. This wax had a hole in it, through which a long piece of string was threaded, having a button at the end, and it was so arranged that the button should hang down over the glass, while Dick, standing under cover of the trees on the opposite side of the road, held the other end of the string in his hand. "'Are you well out of sight?' he whispered. "'Don't give the thing away by flapping your skirts about and giggling.' Now, mum's the word and you'll see some sport." He pulled the string and the button tapped smartly upon the window. It evidently had some effect, for the red curtains were drawn aside, and the captain peered out inquiringly into the darkness. "'Unearthed!' whispered George, but Dick gave him a severe pinch for silence and pulled the cord again. Rap, tap sounded the button on the pane. This time our foe threw open the sash and, thrusting out his head, glanced up and down the street, muttering something we could not catch. We could see him very plainly, his red face and long white whiskers outlined against the lamplight of the room behind, and we could hear his peculiar husky wheeze as he fumbled with the curtain, and thrust aside a small table which stood in his way. "'I hope you won't catch cold,' I whispered to Cathy, feeling just a little compunction when I heard the old man's cough. Perhaps she did, too, for she squeezed my hand, but we were in for it now, as we did not dare to move an inch for fear of betraying the boys. Not finding anybody outside, the captain evidently thought he must be mistaken. He closed the window again, carefully drew the red curtains, and no doubt returned once more to the enjoyment of his paper and his cigar. Loosing his string, Dick crept across the road, and, giving a sudden sharp bang on the window-frame, he at the same moment dropped a number of pieces of glass which he had brought with him, and which fell on the pavement with a resounding crash. Thinking, no doubt, that his panes were smashed to atoms, Captain Vernon appeared again, in great wrath and utter mystification, when he found that, after all, no visible damage had been done. He opened the front door this time, and came a few steps into the street, narrowly missing Dick, who had rushed back to his point of vantage opposite. He picked up a piece of the broken glass, examined it by the aid of his hall lamp, peered up and down once more into the darkness, and finally went in, slamming the door after him. "'It's my turn now,' whispered George. "'Just watch me bait the badger.' "'Haven't you done enough?' whispered Cathy. "'It seems rather too bad, and the poor old man is getting so cross.' "'Oh, do stop, George,' I implored. "'I know you'll be caught.' "'We're not half quits yet.' returned George grimly. You girls always want to spoil things by hanging back. I wish we had left you at home with Edward. Keep quiet now you're here, at any rate." He had a coil of rope with him, and, moving with extreme caution, he fastened one end of it to the captain's door-handle, and the other end to the door-handle of the next house, which was only a few feet lower down the street. Then, seizing the knockers, he beat a terrific tattoo on both doors and fled. He had hardly gained our sheltering trees before the captain appeared on the threshold, uttering some very uncomplimentary remarks, varied by perfect explosions of coughing. As the rope had been allowed to hang rather loosely, 
he was just able to open his door, but at that identical instant his neighbour also desired to investigate matters, with the effect that no sooner did he open his door than it drew the rope so tightly that the captain's door was banged to with great violence. In a fury of rage he pulled it open again, which had the result of shutting his neighbours, and for a few moments the two doors opened and closed as if they were worked by a wire. It really looked very funny, and in spite of our guilty consciences we nearly choked ourselves with trying to laugh noiselessly. I think a faint giggle must have escaped us, or perhaps the victims of our practical joke suspected that somebody was trying to play a trick upon them. At any rate, both doors were hastily slammed hard, and all was silence. "'Good old babe,' whispered Dick when he had recovered his breath. "'Your dodge went even better than mine. But I say we can't leave our apparatus over there. We must manage to fetch it somehow.' They slipped across the road again, Dick to remove his lump of beeswax and the button, and George to untie the rope, but they had counted without their host. The captain had evidently scented the plot, and was waiting for them, for from the bedroom casement above descended a perfect deluge of water, as though the whole contents of a bath had been suddenly emptied onto the pavement below. Almost blinded for the moment, and drenched to the skin, the boys beat a gasping retreat, while such extraordinary sounds of mixed chuckling and coughing proceeded from the open window, as to lead us to suppose that the old man was exulting in his triumph. We kept this adventure a dead secret. Cathy and I felt rather ashamed of ourselves, and, as Edward had hinted, we knew Mrs. Winstanley would have been greatly annoyed if she had discovered that we had made use of her absence to play such very questionable pranks, especially in the village, where we might so easily have been seen and recognised. Whether the captain suspected us we could not tell. If he did, he said nothing to the squire, probably thinking that on the whole he had had the best of it, and that as he could not prove us to be the culprits, it was wiser not to push his advantage too far. The next event in the feud was really a very innocent one on our part. Even the boys on this occasion were quite guiltless of any evil intent, and I think the fault lay with the old captain's hot temper. It was a most lovely September afternoon, and we decided that nothing would be nicer than to take our kettle and tea-things, and after a ramble round in search of blackberries, to picnic in any suitable spot where we might happen to find ourselves when the pangs of hunger assailed us. "'Always allowing that George doesn't insist upon getting hungry before four o'clock,' said Cathy. "'He'll have to wait if he does. And don't let him carry that basket, or you'll find the cake half gone. You take it, Philippa dear, and give him the kettle instead.' "'Fibs,' said George, I wouldn't touch the tuck. I'll carry them both if you like, and Cathy's satchel as well. Here, sling it over my back. Now I call this returning good for evil, Madam Catherine, when you've just been slanging me so hard." "'Poor old babe,' said Cathy soothingly. You see, when people earn a bad name it is apt to stick. But to console you we'll let you choose where we shall go this afternoon. Only make up your mind quickly, for we are all ready and waiting." "'All right,' said George promptly up to the common and round by the oakwood. There's a stream there where we can get water for the cattle, and I know a place to camp in that's just A1." We set off without further delay, and scrambled up the hillside onto the heathery common, where the blackberries were already ripening fast on the low brambles. It took a considerable time to fill the large milk-can which we had brought for the purpose, although there were four pairs of hands hard at work and I don't really think a very great many had gone into our mouths, in spite of the suspicious stains round George's lips. 
"'Hello, it's after half-past three, cried Dick at last, looking at his watch. "'If we want to get to the Oakwood, and then light a fire and boil the kettle, "'it will take us all our time to get tea by four o'clock, I can tell you.' "'So, mounting the stile into the lane, we set off in the other direction down the hill, "'and by climbing a steep wall, found ourselves at last in a pretty little wood, "'carpeted with soft green grass, and with a clear stream running through the midst. "'Here's the place,' said George, pointing to a kind of natural arbour, formed partly by the bank and partly by the roots of a huge oak-tree, the branches of which stretched far overhead, and made a green roof with their interlacing leaves. I found it out once when I came here alone, and I put these logs inside for seats. It makes a ripping summer-house, and I made up my mind we would have tea here some day. Well, what do you say to it? We were all enthusiastic in our approval, and Cathy and I set to work at once to lay out the tea, while the boys collected sticks for the fire and filled the kettle at the brook. The thought that we were trespassing never entered into our heads. The Winstanleys knew all the farmers and the landowners about Everton, and were accustomed to go where they pleased without thinking of asking leave. Being country-bred they could be trusted not to trample on springing crops, disturb young pheasants, or in any way do injury to other people's property. We were quite unaware, also, that the plantation belonged to old Captain Vernon, I am not sure whether the knowledge would not have added a zest to our enjoyment, and though we knew he owned a considerable amount of land in the district, we imagined this particular wood to be part of the preserve of a neighbouring squire, with whom the boys were on very friendly terms, and who had often taken them for a day's grouse-shooting on the moors. Cathy and I arranged the teacups most artistically, laying flowers and fronds of fern between them, with the cakes and the bread and butter piled up in graceful pyramids in the centre. It looked very tempting, and we all waited with some impatience for the kettle to boil, but it was a case of the watched pot, for the sticks being rather damp, the fire gave out more smoke than heat, in spite of Dick's desperate efforts to fan it with a piece of newspaper. "'I'll fetch some bracken. They've been cutting it lower down,' he declared. "'That'll be dry enough at any rate, and ought to help it a little. Get up, George, you lazybones, and bestow yourself, or we shan't have any tea to-night.' The boys were not long in bringing back a large pile of withered ferns, and stoked the fire to such good purpose that the kettle was soon boiling briskly. Cathy had the tea ready in the pot, and Dick was in the very act of pouring in the water, when we suddenly heard a tremendous crashing a little higher up in the wood, and whom should we see bearing down furiously upon us, his red face redder than ever with rage, and his long white whiskers waving in the wind, but the captain, followed by his equally crusty old gardener. "'What are you doing here, you young scoundrels?' he roared, flourishing his riding-whip as he ran, and interspersing his words with gusts of coughing. "'I'll teach you to trespass on my property, burning my wood and spoiling my grass. Boys or girls, you're one as bad as another, and I'll spare none of you. Come on, Johnson, we'll give them a lesson.' Whether he would actually have done so, or whether he only meant to frighten us, I cannot tell— but he did not get the opportunity, for, dropping the kettle, Dick seized my hand and dragged me down the hill at such a breakneck speed that I could scarcely keep on my feet, while George and Cathy raced behind as if they were possessed of seven-leagued boots. With the old captain's angry shouts ringing in our ears, we scrambled somehow over the fence at the bottom of the wood, and never stopped running till we were quite a long way up the high road, and within a safe distance of marshlands again. "'Of course, we weren't in the very least in a funk for ourselves,' explained Dick afterwards. "'If it had only been the babe and myself, we'd have stayed and tackled them both and enjoyed the fun. But I thought the old madman was going for you girls. 
and the best thing to do was to clear out of his way as quick as we could. Is he gorging on our tea and cakes, I wonder? It would be like his cheek. Perhaps he'll annex the teacups, too, while he's about it. But the captain was honest as regarded our property. That same evening the old gardener arrived at the back door, and with an imperturbable countenance handed our baskets to the astonished cook, stalking away without uttering a word, in spite of the many questions she hurled at his head. After this the boys declared it was war to the knife. They had not intended to do any harm in the wood, and therefore, they argued, the captain's action was quite unjustifiable. And as he had shown intentions of not confining the use of his riding-whip to his own sex, he had forfeited all claim to be treated as a gentleman, and his conduct must be repaid with interest. This time they did not take Cathy and me into their confidence beforehand, though from various dark hints we imagined they must have some scheme of revenge brewing in their minds. They came home one evening brimming over with satisfaction. "'Done him at last,' chuckled Dick. "'It was the babe's idea, too, not mine, so I won't take the credit of it. "'You know the old duffer has a gorgeous pear-tree at the end of his garden. "'Well, we just stood in the lane outside with our catapults, "'and shot pellets into the pears as hard as we could go. "'We've been wiring into them all the afternoon. "'Fancy they'll taste a little gritty when he comes to eat them. "'Too bad? Not at all. Serves the old beggar right.' "'Cathy and I, however, felt somewhat uneasy.' thinking the boys had gone rather too far. "'If the captain finds out who has done it,' said Cathy, "'and complains to father, they'll get in the most dreadful row. He can be terribly angry over some of their scrapes.' We waited rather anxiously for further developments, and they were not long in coming. On the very next day a large basket of pears was delivered at Marshlands by the old gardener, with Captain Vernon's compliments. "'How very kind of him,' said unsuspecting Mrs. Winstanley, he has never sent us a present before. They are finer than anything we have been able to grow for ourselves. The pears were brought in at dessert, and remarkably ripe and luscious they appeared. I thought the boys looked a little conscious when they saw them placed upon the table, but they hid their feelings under a mask of would-be unconcern. "'These are some of Captain Vernon's pears, my dear,' said Mrs. Winstanley, passing the dish to the squire. He sent such a polite message, saying he thought we should like to taste them. "'They must be his early bergamots,' said Mr. Winstanley, choosing a particularly fine one and slicing it. "'I know he's very proud of them, and boasts that he can beat all the gardens round. Hello, what's this? It looks as if the pear were riddled with shot.' "'Perhaps they're the seeds. They often look black when they're ripe,' suggested George hastily. He and Dick were eating apples, and Cathy and I had also declined the offered delicacy. "'Seeds? You don't find pips made of lead. I tell you they're pellets, though how they came inside the pear I can't imagine. Hand me the dish and I'll try another.' The next was in like condition, and Mrs. Winstanley's and Edward's plates told the same story. "'There's something queer about this,' said the squire, cutting into his third pear. Then, suddenly catching sight of the air of elaborate nonchalance which the boys were rather overdoing, "'You young rascals!' he roared. "'I verily believe this is your handiwork. I will draw a veil over the explanations which followed. To Dick and George they proved extremely unpleasant, as Mr. Winstanley was really angry. He had little patience with practical jokes, and especially disliked to give any cause of offence to his neighbours so he insisted upon marching both the boys off then and there to make their apologies to Captain Vernon. 
and if he likes to horsewhip you he may do so, he declared, and I'll stand by and watch it done, and say you deserve it for a couple of mischievous young jackanapes. To the great surprise of all concerned, however, the old captain turned up trumps. Bursting into a roar of laughter, he declared he had had the best of the joke, shook the boys warmly by the hand, and proclaimed an amnesty. He even did more. Next day he sent us a beautiful basketful of his best wool apricots as a peace-offering, and permission to pick blackberries in his fields if we chose. "'It's ever so decent of the old chap,' said George. "'We certainly did rag him rather hard. But I've promised to catch the moles in his garden. I'm a capital hand at setting mole traps, and he says if I like to come and scare the birds from his autumn peas, he'll lend me an air-gun, and I can blaze away all day if I want.' It was a very satisfactory conclusion to the feud and I think the boys were glad it had ended thus, for by the next holidays the poor old captain's cough no longer resounded through the village, his garden knew him no more, and other and younger faces looked out from his red-curtained windows. End of chapter 6